You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Rob Tumbrella. If you want to take your Bible and turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1, we're just going to look at two verses. Today is Orphan Sunday, and uh, we dedicate one Sunday a year to talk about and lift up the need of orphans globally. So what I'm going to do is just, just share two verses out of James 1. We're actually going to also have it on the screen behind me. And then after I share from these two verses, preach from these two verses, Gary Schneider, like Diane mentioned, is a special guest who's going to come and share how God has called him and his wife Debbie to care for orphans in Zambia. So that's going to be a real treat. So um, James 1, uh, we're going to look at what the Bible contrasts between what it describes as worthless religion from pure religion. There are things that are worthy about this word religion. And there are worthless things about it as well. And my hope, my prayer for myself, my prayer for all of us, is that we would throw off any worthless claim to the word spirituality or the word religion, and it would be replaced with real and pure religion of following Jesus as we love the orphans. So uh, let me pray to that end. Father, as we look at your word, Lord, help us uh, meet us here in your word, over your word. Come, Holy Spirit, help us to throw off the worthless and replace it with the real. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's look at the contrast. There's, uh, it's really clear if you just scan your eyes over it. There's uh, verse 26 talks about worthless religion, verse 27, pure. So let's look at the worthless religion first in verse 26. A little background on who James is, who's writing this. James grew up one of the younger half-brothers of Jesus. Remember, same mom, different fathers. He's the eternal son of God who James witnesses his older brother do miracle after miracle, and he's there for the teaching ministry of Jesus, and he's also there for the death and the resurrection and the appearance of Jesus post-resurrection. We're told, we're told in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus appeared to James and then to all the apostles. So his younger brother got, got a foretaste of what his, his other friends got in the, in the resurrection, went to his brother first. Well, who is James addressing? Well, he's He's addressing uh, the churches that the apostles went out to go, to go plant scattered throughout the Palestine area. And he calls the members of, the, of these churches in 119, my beloved brothers. And that's inclusive. That's brothers and sisters. And um, he calls them beloved. Beloved by God. Beloved by him. But now in verse 26 in chapter 1, he warns those who take on the name of Jesus with these words. If anyone thinks he is religious. Now thinks he is, is simply a personal opinion. Apparently back in that day people had a personal opinion about their spirituality just as much as today. And that word religious is best translated in, in kind of modern vernacular as spiritual. It means literally one who stands in awe of the gods or one who stands in awe of mystery. So there were very religious people back then who kind of stood in awe of the gods. 
or stood in awe of mystery. And there are people today who love to just kind of describe or define themselves as spiritual. They might not use the word religious, but they would use the word spiritual. Pew Research Center said about two-thirds of U.S. adults, 65%, describe themselves as religious, either in addition to or being spiritual or not. And even among Generation Z, the 34% and growing of no religion category would still retain the idea that they are deeply, deeply spiritual. I would almost say this. I don't think I've met anybody in my life who would not describe themselves as being spiritual. They might not say religious they might balk at that, but they would, they would say, I'm enlightened, or I'm a deep person, I'm a spiritual person, and uh, even if I don't sign on to a religion. Well, James says, this claim is pretty significant. He says, if you do not bridle his tongue, if this cl- person claiming this does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Listen, he says a person's religion, for all of its promotion, for all of its imagination, for all of its, uh, you know, boast about what it is, it is nothing short of false and empty. That's what worthless means. It's of no value. The claim is empty. And it's a result of a deceived heart. He deceives or she deceives himself. So there's self-deception making a false and empty claim. And it's a false and empty claim because it doesn't show up in something very simple that affects all of us. And that is in the tongue or the speech. Okay? They're not able to control their speech. Does not bridle his tongue is the language. Does not bridle his tongue. Now the, the tongue or speech, communication in the book of James is a very, very big deal because it exposes if you're real or not. It shows forth what's deep inside of us. Remember, Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Can't help it. Whatever's there, here, shows up here. It it can't not. He says in James 3, he says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small Fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. He says, for every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. James says hell is not just an eternal place that we deserve to go to because we have broken God's law. We've not loved God as we should, as the law commands. We've not loved our neighbor as the law requires of us. And so it's not just a a place we deserve to be in. But hell is right now an influential force of evil that uses our speech to start its own fires in the world. And you've been the victim of those fires. And you've also contributed to those fires. We all have. Sometimes proactively, sometimes unknowingly. So James says, listen, any claim, 
Any claim to be spiritual is worthless if it doesn't demonstrate the ability to do the impossible. To do what no human being can do. And that's to stop hell's forest fires from raging out of control by bridling himself. I googled how to stop forest fires because I was curious. Any, any resources out there? There are 8,000 forest fires that go off in California. Some of you guys are from California. You know all about that. Uh, no surprise, Google doesn't give any answer on how to stop a forest fire. And, uh, and, and that's, that's true of what religion or modern spirituality offers. No hope. Because what modern spirituality says is to look inward. Look at yourself where Scripture says to bridle yourself. And that's a really curious language. How does somebody bridle themselves and so stop the forest fires from raging out of control? Well, don't confuse what James is saying with kind of modern day spirituality. He's not saying look inward because in chapter 3, verse 3, we know that when he uses this same idea, he says this. We put the bits into the mouths of horses. So when he's saying bridle yourself, he's actually pointing to something supernatural. He says a, a, a horse doesn't put the bit into its own mouth. You might as well just take a horse and just chunk the, the bit at the horse and say, bridle yourself. I mean, a horse can do a lot of things, right? Like it can spin in circles and it can, you know, do the counting thing. It can do a lot of in, impressive things. But a ho horse can't bridle himself. And it can't bridle himself without our, our help. And we can't, hear this, we can't bridle ourselves. We can't bridle our speech without God's help. And that's James' point. That's what he's getting at. We need God's help. We can't do it. We need God's help to do the impossible in us, to control our speech. We need God's help and his power for that and all things in the Christian life. And that's literally what James is driving at in this passage and it's important as we look at the orphan in just a moment i don't have a horse but i have a dog okay my dog's name is lucy she's a beagle border collie mix anybody got a dog like that uh i love lucy and she really loves us she, probably, she loves us way more than we love her sadly uh because she's a border collie she's either hurting me around the house for my protection and safety or she's, she's putting herself in danger because of her nose. She just catches a scent and just chases after that scent. And she'll, she will be lost and in danger. One time we were in a, in a car, had rolled the window down, and she jumped out of the car. Uh, you know, uh, chasing after a scent. And we had to stop, you know, stop, get her out. And we just think she's going to die. And this is going to be a horrible moment as a family to see her die like this. And... She's run out in the street chasing after her nose. She can't control herself. She is in danger constantly. She would be on next door every single day if, uh, if not for one thing in her life, okay? And that is this little pink vest. She's a girl, you know, Lucy. She's got this little pink vest that we have to put on her. She can't even put it on herself. In fact, I'm so lazy as a dog owner. I'm just like, Lucy, can't you just put the thing on yourself? She's incapable. She can stand over it and all excited about it. She can't, she can't put it on. I've got to put the, the vest on, the harness on that's connected to the leash so that then 
Lucy is free. You know, she is not in danger, and she is not going to go get herself lost. And, uh, and that, I know that's a silly illustration, but it, 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 it kind of shows up right here in James's language. Uh, what we most need, we're incapable of on our own. And the best thing that my dog could do is to come to me for freedom and receive from me something that doesn't look freeing at first glance. And that's a protective harness over her help. She needs help. She needs my help. And that's what Jesus calls us to do. He says, come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Apostle Paul fills out this idea of rest. When we come to Jesus, there's a supernatural rest. And that supernatural rest is connected to a supernatural power. When Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, Ephesians 1 says, it also provides, he also provides his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same power that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. This is what James is getting at. You and I need the supernatural resurrection power that Jesus provides for all of the Christian life. And it shows up in our speech and then goes into all the other places of our lives, which is what verse 27 gets to. So this is what pure religion is. Throw off the worthless... Okay, grab hold of the pure in verse 27. Here's what he says. Religion that is pure, undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So before he gives any specific instruction to what pure religion is, he note those words, before God the Father. James is aware that God is a father. He is eternally generous. He learned this first from Jesus who taught his disciples that this loving father makes rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. He is benevolent to all of creation. Those who curse him, those who ignore him, he sends blessings down on them all. He is eternally generous. He says in verse uh, 17, chapter 1, every good gift, whether you're aware of those good gifts or not, every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He is, he is pure, holy love, constantly raining down blessings on our lives and sometimes we're aware that the drops are hitting us a certain way and we're oh that's a blessing of God but it's just a, a downpour all the time in our lives and and this is all coming from a father of lights an unchanging no changing father who is showcasing his glory and his love and uh, this, is, this is where all religion starts. This is where all true spirituality starts. It starts with acknowledging God as the Father. 
who does all of this and to imitate him in the next phrase. He says, visiting orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So we're supposed to, 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 uh, to be like our father in the way that we visit widows and orphans in their distress, in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now that unstained language is the exact same language he uses in chapter 3. In other words, he says, through the power of God, we, we are called to stop what we naturally want to do. Which is to let the tongue, let our speech, let our communication, let our tweets do whatever it wants to do. Which chapter 3 says the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. That's what it wants to do. Our speech just wants to stain everything left to itself. And sets on fire the entire course of our lives. James says, by the Spirit of God, the resurrection power of God, stop what you naturally want to do. And by that same power, start what you don't naturally want to do as well. Which is, visit orphans and widows in their affliction, their distress, through the supernatural help of God's love, His glory, His kingdom, coming to dwell, coming to reign, coming to move through and in us individually and corporately. To visit doesn't mean that we, you know, step into the place of God and we are the solution to all things. It means to, with compassion, with the compassion of God himself, look upon Provide help as we're able to. And to be a faithful presence among those who are hurting. Those who are on the margins. That's, that's all encompassing. So although we are lifting up the orphans. Orphans and widows. Widows in that day were the, those who were the forgotten. Those who are most in need. Those who needed somebody to stand in for them and to help them. Just like the, the orphan. And so it's, it's all encompassing. Look for those who nobody's looking at. And be like God as you do. Psalm 68 tells us what God is like. He's the father of the fatherless. He's the protector of widows. God in his holy habitation. Deuteronomy 10, we're told that he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He, those ideas right there, fatherless and widow, that's carried over from the Old Testament into James's language here. He loves the sojourner. Giving him food, giving him clothing. We're told in Exodus 22, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. And we're told why in Psalm 146, for the Lord watches over the sojourners and he upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. So God himself steps in and engages with the afflictions and the hurts. That nobody wants to be aware of. Nobody wants to lean in and, and look at. And this is so important for the people of God to grab hold of. That the prophets uh, were used to warn people. When we turn our eye or turn our face from, from things that God is aware of. He says, when you spread out your hands, I'll hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. He says, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. And plead 
the widow's cause. This, this theme of adoption runs throughout the Bible. Do you remember the story of Moses who was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter? and How God used Moses uniquely and how that whole thing started through adoption? Remember the story of Ruth who was widowed and then redeemed, essentially adopted, brought in and taken care of. The story of Esther who was adopted by Mordecai and used significantly, all starting with that commitment by Mordecai. What about Jesus? Do you know Jesus was adopted by Joseph? Joseph trusted the promise of the angel. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. He believed that word and adopted Jesus. I mean, adoption just runs throughout the Bible. So it's not surprising that it shows up in the New Testament as well. And this, this, this running theme and this amazing promise lands on you and I today. Do you know in Christ, if you put your faith in Jesus, you were adopted? You're adopted. Galatians 5 tells us, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that, very important word, so that we, you and me, today, might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And... Because you are sons, because you are legally bound eternally to this amazing God as your father, God has also sent the spirit of his son. So he sends the son, born under the law, to die on the cross. And those who are united to Jesus by faith, then he sends the spirit of his son into our heart, crying, Abba, Father. We now know God as our father and we cry to him and know him as our Father, our eternal Father, always taking care of us. Paul says, so you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Where you sit today, you may not feel like an heir. You may not feel like you've got a lot going on in your life right now. But according to the Bible, you are an heir of God. You are a son and daughter of God. You're eternally united to God. And you are secure in that relationship. And so secure that Jesus says you can approach God as your father in your very worst moments. Isn't that how Jesus taught us to pray? It wasn't just on the high mountaintops, right? It's like we sang this morning. It's down in the valleys that we're to pray our father who is in heaven. That's a cry to our father. Abba, Father, is a prayer to our Father in our worst moments, our praise moments too, but in our, our most difficult moments as well. He's approachable. But listen, he's not only just approachable to us, he is always and forever approaching us. He's the Father that chases after us. He's the Father that comes after us. He's the Father running towards us today. 
And so we are secured. He's never going to stop loving us. He's bound himself to us. And that security, that security of his love frees us now to sacrifice our time. We can sacrifice our money. We can sacrifice our plans. We can put away our small dreams and start loving people in front of us the way that we are loved right now. A church historian, a guy named Rodney Stark, said, To look after the afflicted is how the early church grew like crazy. He says that, that, that ethic of the early church, of looking after those who were afflicted, helped the early church grow from 12 people to over 6 million in just a couple of hundred years. It's staggering. Historically, historians are staggered by the growth of the early church. And the reason why it grew so quickly and so, so fast was that the Christians would stay and care for the families of people who were abandoned in places. They would love those on the margins when nobody else would. They would sacrifice their time and money and, and visit those who were distressed. And it's compelling. It's a compelling witness. It's as compelling as Jesus was to be around Jesus, to see him love those who were on the margins of society was so compelling. It would draw people in. It was unlike anything they'd ever seen. It reflected God himself, for it was God in the flesh. This is why when we zoom out and we see God as a father who cares for those on the margins, we see that our holy calling is significant. I mean, Diane shared some of these statistics. 424,000 children in foster care in the U.S., 120,000 children waiting to be adopted. 25,000 children age out of foster care each year. 29,000 children foster care in Texas. 7,000 waiting to be adopted in Texas. 1,200 children age out of foster care in Texas each year. And, and what she just shared there, right now, 200 children without placements. I mean, those, those numbers are staggering, but I want to show an image up on the screen of an equally staggering number. So if you can see that way in the back, you know, those are two different colors. You've got a blue and a black there. The blue colored numbers are the numbers of children in foster care right now. And the number underneath that number the black number is the number of evangelical churches in each state in the United States. So yes, the numbers are staggering. The numbers are very high, 13,000. But notice the numbers of evangelical churches, 27,000 in Texas. It, it almost looks like if the, if the church, with all of our, you know, programming and building and everything else if we would just look at the needs right in front of us what could happen in the united states god bless orphan sunday and gary schneider who we're going to hear from in just a second may a movement just speed on in triumph in uh, in the united states to care for the needs in front of us because it's maybe it's possible to eradicate foster care in the united states based on these, these numbers in front of us. Well, let's close by just sharing a few things. Diane mentioned some of these that we're trying to do as a church. We're not perfect at this. We're trying to grow. We're trying to be faithful 
we're, we're trying to repent and turn from, from things that we're, you know, if we're, we're negligent and, and focus on those who are in front of us, those who are hurting and in need in front of us. Here's one way. Uh, we have a weekly ministry to widows and widowers at uh, a, an assisted living center called Bethesda Gardens. We have, we have served, I think, almost weekly um, with a team who, who does a Sunday service led by Tom Stack at least over 10 years. They've changed their name, and we've stayed there. And so praise God for that team that's, that goes out every single Sunday. And if you're interested in being a part of that, you can see Tom, see one of us, and we'll connect you with him. And, uh, and you can be a faithful presence to Bethesda Gardens. Uh, you heard from Diane about Families of Hope. That's like a hub of help for all things. Orphan care, adoption, foster care ministry. Diane is literally one of the most connected people in DFW in terms of what resources are available in whatever stage of that story you're a part of. Uh, through Families of Hope, they support families in our church right now and, uh, and, and future adoptive families through funding and special needs. They also partner with CPS, CASA, and all kinds of, of needs. Uh, and and uh, it's just a wealth of resources. Through that, we partner with Embrace Network. Embrace Network is an evangelical organization that connects resources to churches uh, to serve adoption and foster care families in Collin County. And then they also have a, a ministry they're connected to that we've served at called Second Story, which focuses on kids who are aging out of foster care, which I, I shared that number, many kids uh, all throughout Collin County aging out, and it helps come alongside those, uh, those, those young adults in the, you know, the first six months or year that they age out of foster care. And then, uh, you know, Diane mentioned also, we have, have set aside dollars to help families uh, private adoption is expensive, and we have, we've done this through our annual generations fund. So there are resources available. Don't let money be the, this initial block to say we can't afford it. If the Lord is leading you, he will provide the funds. And, and by God's grace, uh, many of you have given to the generations fund, and that is going to go to help families in the church through financial assistance. Uh, when you go out in the lobby today... After Gary shares, you go out in the lobby, there's the Portraits of Hope Gallery. And those are pictures of children in Texas that are right now waiting for someone to adopt them. Pray for them. Stare at their face. Look at their faces. Read their stories. Pray for them. And then, uh, and then I'd like to invite Gary Schneider, who's the founder and president of Every Orphan's Hope, to come and share about his mission through Every Orphan's Hope to rescue, raise, and restore Hope to orphans in Zambia. Gary's not going to share this, but um, for like 20 years, Orphan Sunday has taken root in a lot of evangelical churches uh, in the United States and globally. It's, it's become a global movement, and it all started with Gary, and it all started with Gary in this ministry. So, Gary, thank you for coming. We just invite you to come and share with us about your ministry. Thank you, Pastor Rob. One correction, Orphan Sunday started with God. Yeah. Amen. 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 <laughs> I just happen to be a, a vessel that he chose at one moment of time, and he can choose you today as well. But 
You know, I so appreciated your message today. I, I live in the midst of what he preached. The scriptures he shared today are real to me. Uh, they're true to me. God is who he says he is, and he does what he says he's going to do. Amen. So I just want to encourage you today. I also learned a couple of things that I didn't know. Uh, I never Googled how to stop a forest fire, but I am going to Google how horses do the counting thing. I, I, I still don't know what exactly that meant, but I think I'll, I'll Google that and try to find out. I didn't know horses could count. But uh, thank you. I, I, don't, I don't know either, Gary. Okay, uh, it was like the, the I, counting thing. I've seen thing. on TV. Okay. Like, I, I don't know. I've seen them count. I don't know. All right. Well, great. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know what I find out. Um, but I also learned, as Diane shared, that there are 200 children in the DFW area that are without placement, meaning there isn't a family for them to go to in the foster care system. And, uh, and that was shocking to learn this morning uh, that they're living in hotels. Um, but 22 years ago, God called me to a place called Zambia, Africa, because there were also children who had no placements, who had no families. And these children were orphaned because of really one pandemic, and that was HIV-AIDS. And uh, they lost mother and father in most cases. And then because of that pandemic, uh, it put such a strain on the families and the extended families in a very impoverished country uh, that they literally could not take care of their own children. And so God, um, that's why I said God started this, not me. He called me to just come and join him in raising up a generation of orphans that really the world would have said there's just no hope for. But with God, all things are possible. Amen. He truly is a father to the fatherless. I want to show you a quick short video uh, of three children, a sibling group, that I, I first met in 2003. I actually met their mother. I didn't know at the time who she was or who these children were, but she was serving at a camp ministry that we did called Camp Hope. And we were reaching 150 children, gathering them together, all orphans, for basically like a VBS, what you would know as a VBS. But it was just for orphans in this very impoverished community in Zambia. And as I was there with a small team, I noticed a woman with a baby tied to her back standing over a large open fire with a big pot of rice and beans, and she was stirring that, and she cooked for those kids all day long. Mm. And it was so humbling to see this Zambian woman with a baby on her back cooking for 150 orphan children. That's what she could do that day to care for the orphan. But I want you to see this video real quick. I have the great privilege of seeing God fulfill his promises even in the lives of Mary, David, and Michael. Mary is in pharmacy school right now, about to graduate in a year as a pharmacist. David, the youngest one there, he just completed his senior year of high school. Uh, he took a gap year where he's in a one-year discipleship program, and then he's going to go on to college. And Michael, uh, he's been trained as an auto mechanic, has his driver's license, and is making a living doing that. And so it's just amazing to see that God is who he says he is, and he'll do what he says he'll do when he says, I'm a father to the fatherless. But he requires our hand. It's the body of Christ that he works through to fulfill that promise. And so wherever you're at today, as Rob preached that message, as you think about Orphan Sunday, you think about the children in foster care in our community or the orphans around the world, all we need to do is ask God, what would you have me do, Lord? What would you have me do so that you might fulfill your promise as a witness to a watching world that Jesus Christ is Lord of all? 
And so I just pray today that you'll take a moment to stop by the tables outside and take a look there. And I'll just give you a 30-second commercial on Every Orphan's Hope. Uh, what we do is we rescue children from babies all the way through to young adulthood. So we'll take abandoned and orphaned babies and care for them for five years in our baby rescue homes, which we have four of, and we have 39 babies in, that ho- in those four homes. When a, a family cannot be found for that child, meaning they cannot be reunited or reunified with any extended family, then that child becomes um, ours. By the, the Zambia government grants us legal, um, yeah, what's the term? I'm losing it. But, the, you know, we become their parents, basically. And they become our children in a forever home with a widow who cares for four boys and four girls, and they become a permanent family. So uh, that's our My Father's House family homes, which we have 57 children currently in family homes being cared for. But we don't age out our kids, just like we don't age out our own kids at 18. I know my kids could not have been on their own at 18. But uh, we do move them into uh, homes where they're with their peers, brothers and sisters who've completed grade 12 and are going on to higher education. And we currently have four homes like that with 42 students in college or university or trade school that started as an orphan in our homes. And that's just the the grace and the mercy and the providence of God at work for his glory. Amen. So thank you, Pastor Rob. Thank you, Grace Church, for allowing me to be here today. It's a a privilege and an honor. Thank you. Gary, we, uh, in the first service, we were, um, we had planned to pray for you, and it just seems right for you to pray for us. So to close our service, can you just pray for God to help us by his spirit to do what we can with what we have? Yes. Well, Heavenly Father, uh, first we just acknowledge you as Father. Mm Mm-hmm. Father, as, as it was shared earlier, that wanted to adopt us, yeah. his children who were estranged from him by sin, but yet Jesus came, right. lived a perfect, sinless life, died on the cross, shed his blood, was raised again, and sits at your right hand today, Father, yes. interceding for us as your children, right. heirs together with Christ. Thank you for that, right. Father. You have given us the picture right. of what you call us to do, what the light you call us to be in our community and around the world to children who need to know there's a Father in Heaven who knows their name, has never left them, never forsaken them, no matter what their situation is. God, you are a God who pursues them. And thank you that that heart of the Father is here and present at Grace Church Frisco. It beats loudly, Lord. And I pray that a watching community would see that. And more importantly, the children who need to know who you are through Jesus Christ would come through the body of Christ here. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we thank Gary one more time? Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.